So today we have a, 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 a big ministry hope for me that's getting fulfilled. I met Pastor Dustin Woodward, I don't know, 15 years ago now in student ministry, and the Woodward family has been such a blessing to me, opened so many doors for me as a pastor, helped me understand the bigness of ministry and how to lead with excellence. And uh, Pastor Dustin Woodward is on our board, but Pastor Dustin is not amazing simply because he, he was born amazing. Oh, he is amazing. But he has two incredible parents, and we get the privilege today of having his dad inside of our house, pastor for 40 years, pastor of the church that now Dustin leads. I'll let you let him tell you more of that. But he is the greatest, one of the greatest communicators. He's in the top three for me, the greatest communicators in the world. And it's a privilege to have him on our stage. So let's give him a warm and energetic welcome to Pearl Street Stage here today. Let's go, baby. I won't, I won't need this. Well, good morning, Pearl Street. How are you guys doing? Doing good? You may be seated. I have been looking forward to being with you guys for a long, long time. And I have followed this church from the day that it opened, the first day of your existence. And I am blown away and amazed at what you guys are doing, what you've already accomplished the days in front of you are so bright, getting ready to move into a new facility, start uh, building that out. Uh, it gives you the opportunity of expanding, growing, life change, and the influence that you will have in this city in the years to come is going to be amazing. And so, uh, Pastor Brent uh, and Heather, so glad to be with you guys. And our, like you said, our families have been friends for a lot of years, and we value that. Had the opportunity of sitting with you guys last night at dinner. And sitting across the table, this was my thought. Here I'm sitting with a pastor and a doctor, and both of you are functioning at a high level of anointing in the call that God has given to you. And I want to tell you, you are a, a dynamite duo. You are incredible, and I love you guys dearly. Give them a big, big hand. You guys are blessed. Also, I have, um, I have traveled here with my son, Jonathan. Uh, he is my middle son. We have three boys. Two are in the ministry. Jonathan is a pharmacist. And so what I like to say is I have two pastors and a drug dealer. And so I, I brought the drug dealer with me today, all right? And so, John, good to see you and good to have you here this morning. I wrote a book called A Matter of Time, and it's about parenting. And that is the absolute passion of my life. We live in a day, challenging times, where we can no longer have the mindset that we're raising kids. There has to be a mindset that we are raising leaders in our home and being very, very intentional about that. The premise of this book is that I write about five uh, character traits that if we could instill five of these traits into our children, it will produce leaders. And this is what I strongly believe, that we as born-again parents, as we lead our children into a knowledge of Jesus Christ, we are spirit-filled people. And when our kids go into junior high, in high school, that they should not be following their peers, but their peers should be following them. And that's what we can produce in our kids. And so uh, we have a few of those books after the service. If you want to uh, take advantage of that, you can pick up one of those. Uh, but again, I, I think that it would be a tremendous blessing in your life. Today I want to speak to you from one of the chapters in the book, and I have entitled this message today, The Lost Character Trait, which is honor. Now, honor does not seem to be very exciting. Uh, that may not be a great topic that we want to really focus in on, but I want to tell you this, that if you will stick with me this morning, uh, this teaching from the Word of God can absolutely transform the environment of your home when you begin to simply follow one small principle of the word. Right now, we live in a culture of dishonor. Talk radio, cable networks, social media, every single day, there are attacks, slander, character assassinations, and somehow in a very short amount of time in our country, in our society, that we have justified hating people that we disagree with. Our children are standing by, they're watching, and they're effectively learning that they can dishonor anyone in authority over them as long as they 
dislike them or disagree with them. It was about two years ago when I started writing about honor in this book. On Sunday mornings, after each of our services, I would walk out into our atrium, and I would find random people, and I would say, hey, can you help me with something? I want to ask you a question. And I would ask them, who deserves honor and who does not deserve honor? In almost every case, when I asked that question, it was the same. They looked down, they shuffled their feet, they pondered, they thought so badly they wanted to answer that question rightly. The pastor was asking them a question, and it was like I had asked them the most difficult question they had ever, ever tried to deal with. Who deserves honor and who does not? Let me ask you this. Who do you remember in your past? What is the name of the person that stands out to you? Let me tell you who you probably don't remember. You probably don't remember the last or the names of the last five Miss Americas. You probably do not remember the names of the past five Academy Award winners. And as we enter into football season, as much as we love football, you probably can't even remember the last five most valuable players in the NFL. It's a funny thing how we forget the names of those who have accomplished such great things in the world. But let me tell you who you do remember. You remember the person that believed in you when no one else would. You remember their name. You remember the person that helped you in a very difficult time in life. You remember the person by name who led you to Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because that person served you, they honored you, and honor burns a deep impression into our memories. So, again, who deserves honor and who does not deserve honor? And I want us to look at this biblically. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, here speaking about Jesus, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Serving and honoring is synonymous. Honoring is when we esteem someone, that we hold someone uh, that, that in high value, that we revere them. That's what honor is. And the Bible gives us 10 people groups that we are commanded to honor. And here is what the Bible says. We are to honor one another. We're to honor our parents, our children, and our wives. We are to honor our husbands, the elderly, widows, elders, and pastors. We are to honor our bosses, and we are to honor the emperor. Now, I want you to notice that out of all 10 of these, there are no stipulations. There are no buts, no ifs, no conditions whatsoever. We are just to honor them for who they are. And then Peter in the Bible makes this shocking statement in 1 Peter 2.17. And he says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, it's like he, at the end of this, just throws in and honor the emperor. Let me give you some historical background. It was at this time, the emperor was Nero. Nero was a perverted madman. He was vicious, he was cruel, he was twisted, and he went to great lengths in ordering the deaths of people, but to torture them at the highest level possible. And it's unimaginable that Peter is standing in front of the church like I'm standing in front of you today speaking, and he's telling them that you are to honor the emperor. How would you feel? sitting there listening to Peter tell you that when your old mother had been dragged out of her house for no other reason than declaring that Jesus is Lord and God, they strip her of her clothing, nail her to a cross, pour tar all over her body, then raise up the cross and set it on fire as a torch to light one of Nero's drunken parties. And what Peter is saying in front of the church that day is so absurd and so unreasonable. And now 2,000 years later, we still have the same thought. 
when you think about where we are as a society, our nation, the U.S. presidency is more polarizing than it has ever been. In November, we're getting ready to start up a whole new presidential race all over again. And it really doesn't matter who the president is. If it's President Bush, President Obama, or President Trump, or President Biden, whoever the leader is, the Bible gives us the room enough to disagree with our national leaders. In fact, you can greatly and strongly disagree with them, with their decisions and their policies and their moral standings. It's also when we get into conversations with one another that it's very easy when we disagree and, and that, that our conversations turn into a debate and it's easy for our emotions to become inflamed. And when we deal with all of this, what Peter is saying is be very, very careful as a follower of Christ, not to get caught up in the culture of hating. Because hating and defaming is the culture of the world, and it is not the culture of the believer. So here's the mandate. Here is what we're mandated by the Word of God, is that we are to honor all people regardless of their behavior. And let me tell you, that's a hard pill to swallow. Because what we want to say is, well, I would... Give honor to my father if he deserved honor, and he doesn't. Or I would honor my mother if she would apologize by how she treated me as a young girl. Maybe then I would show her honor. But what we do here is we honor all because of this. The person that you're looking at, the person that maybe you have no respect for whatsoever, the one that, that is anti-church, anti-God, anti-everything that you are, we still honor them because God formed them, created them, designed them with his very hands. God, that person that we are looking at, God created them in his image, in his likeness. And when he created them, it says, and he crowned them with glory and honor. You know what that means? It means that after every creation, it's like he stamps that individual and he stamps them with glory and honor, meaning they are the crown jewel of my creation. So we as believers, we see through the eyes of Christ and that we are able to look beyond bad behavior. We're even able to look beyond their abuse, seeing one who was knitted together while they were still in their mother's womb and they were fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why we honor, not because of what they done, have done, but who they are. How do we restore honor? How do we restore it back into our nation? And the only possible way we can do so is by individual families and for us to restore it in our home. In Ephesians 6, in verses 1 through 3, here is a passage of Scripture that is fairly familiar probably to most in this room. And it says, children, obey, and there's that word obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor, there's the word honor, honor your father and mother. In this passage, it lays out two aspects of leadership development. It says that equally that when we train our children, we need to be highly aware that we're teaching them obedience and we're teaching them honor. For most parents, we understand the importance of obedience. Every parent that I know that we focus on obedience, I'm teaching my children how to obey and follow instructions. We've got that down. But most parents never teach honor because we don't understand honor and we don't know how to teach it to our children. Here's the definition of obedience. Obedience is doing what someone says. It's doing a task, following directions. It's mechanical. In other words, it's the, the will, the act of the will. And it's doing what we are told to do. That's obedience. For instance, how many times have we watched our children do something like this? That we watch them as they walk through the house and they're passing bedrooms with beds unmade. They're stepping over dirty clothes, laying on the floor. 
they walk into the kitchen and they pass by the sink full of dirty dishes. And as they pass by in their mind, I didn't make the mess. It's not my responsibility and no one told me to clean it up. You see, whenever you, you look at that, you find that that is true. If they have solely been taught obedience, obedience, but honor, it adds another deeper dimension into relationships. Let me show you what honor is. Here's the definition. It is not an act of the will, but it's an act of the heart. Honor is treating people special, and it's doing more than is expected. When honor begins to flow in our home from one family member to the next, this is what it could look like. Let's say that you're sitting down at dinner at the table, and in your home you have a schedule that each of the children take turns doing the dishes. That's their chore of the evening, doing the dishes. Last night, it was the younger brother's turn. Tonight, it's the older sister. She gets up from the table, she goes to the sink, and she starts doing the dishes. The younger brother is sitting at the table, and he just can't help himself. He loves irritating, agitating his sister. He gets up from the table, walks behind her, lets out a sarcastic laugh, and he begins to, to rib her, and he just lights her up by saying, it's your turn, and I don't have to do the dishes, and he just keeps on until she swings around, unleashes on him verbally, name-calling, screaming, and yelling, and it destroys the atmosphere of the home. Just destroys it. If honor has been taught in the home, it could look like this from time to time. She gets up from the table, the older sister, goes to the sink and starts doing the dishes. The younger brother gets up from the table, walks over to the sink, and says, Scoot over. Let me help you do the dishes so you can do it in half the time, and then we can go watch a movie together. You see what honor is. It's treating people special. Honor changes everything. Remember, obedience focuses on a task. Honor focuses on people. Now, here is a simple, great way to implement honor into your home. Just simply by a family culture statement. Let me give you what we wrote out many years ago. This is our family culture statement. We believe being a Woodward is special. We're not just out for ourselves. We work as a team. When a job needs to be done, the Woodward team pulls together. We work hard to clean up the house. We do yard work. We share in any needs and responsibilities because we are a team. What this is, it's a standard of identity. What our family knew and who our family still is today is that we are close, we are together, and that we are a team. You see, every family member needs to know who we are as a family, that they must understand that name-calling, belittling, agitating, hitting, screaming is not permitted in this house. It is a violation of who we are as a family and as a home. Say it often, Mom and Dad, and say it clearly, that in this house, we respect and honor one another. Mom and Dad, don't ever fall into the deception of believing that your kids will grow out of their negative and bad behavior because they will not grow out of it, but they will grow deeper entrenched into it as every year passes by, and they will take that bad behavior into adulthood, into their marriages, and into the lives of their children, bringing turmoil in the next generation. Again, establishing honor can be extremely easy, and I want to help you understand how easy it is. Maybe you've experienced something like this, like I have. Have you ever been out of the house for many, many hours? You've been at work. Maybe you've been gone for eight to nine hours, and you finally are so glad to be home, and you open up the front door, and you walk in, and you start walking through the house, passing by family members. As you pass by, one is on their phone, another one is watching television, someone else is doing their homework, and as you walk through the house, you barely get a grunt out of anybody, and you stand back and think, does anyone even care that I'm home? 
Well, you know, we can learn a lot from our family dog. You know, we've got a little dog named Dixie. And whenever I come home and I open that front door, it doesn't matter where she's at in the house. She comes running, leaping, jumping, barking. She is so excited that I'm home, and it makes me feel so good. But I do know this, that dogs can take it a little too far. Because a few moments later, I can go over into the kitchen and take a bag of trash out, go outside, throw it in the dumpster, take it out to the street, and then come back. I've only been gone three minutes. But when I open up the door, here she comes again, running and leaping and barking, so excited that I've walked in the door. What if we learn from our family dog? What if we set a standard in our home and we simply said, for now on, when someone has been gone for a long period of time, They've been at school all day. They've been at work all day. That the moment the door opens up, that the standard in our home is that everyone just stops what they're doing for a few moments, stand up, walk to the front door, and just say, Dad, glad you're home. Dad, I hope you had a great day. Man, I've been looking forward to having you here. If you have teenagers in your home and you try to establish this and you make this a standard, They're going to make this so awkward because that's what teenagers do. They just make everything awkward. And they're going to roll their eyes. They're going to mock it. They're going to make fun of it. They're going to throw their arms open and say, okay, Dad, give me a hug so I can go back and watch TV. It's going to be awkward. But if you keep the standard going, and that's just what we do, we just get up, we walk to the front door. Over a period of time, it becomes a habit. And then there is a mentality shift that starts taking place, a simple act of just going to someone else starts ripping that me mentality out of us, and it becomes others. It's about other people that begins to flow in our lives. When we are talking to our kids, teach them to be second-mile people. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We are second-mile people. Let me explain what I mean by that. One of the marvels of of ancient Rome was their highway systems. They had over 50,000 miles of roads. Every time they conquered a new city or a new territory, they would build roads from that city all the way back to Rome. Whenever you hear the old saying, all roads lead to Rome, it was a very, very true thing because all roads did lead back to Rome to Rome. These roads were very sophisticated. They had a white marker every mile showing how far you had traveled and how far it was to the next city. It was during the time of Christ that the Romans set a new law in order that anyone traveling on those roads, if you were a Roman citizen and you came across a non-Roman citizen, you had the right to ask them to carry your backpack your heavy load for one mile and one mile only. The Jewish people despised this. They hated it. It was embarrassing. It was, in, it was humiliating that every time they got on the road to travel, a Roman citizen would hand them a backpack and they had to carry their things plus someone else's for the next mile. In the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He addressed this Roman law. Listen to what he says about it. In Matthew 5, 41, he said, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. He's talking about the very thing they despised, they resented, and Jesus is saying, do it, and then do extra. What Jesus was teaching that day was a mindset that would separate them from the rest of the world. What he wanted them so desperately to understand is that when they would do extra, it's like no one else. You become a standout in the crowd. When you become a standout, people take notice of who you are. And through that, God is able to elevate you to higher positions and that you have higher influence wherever you go. You see, the first mile is the mile of obedience. The second mile is the mile of honor. The first mile is the action of common people. 
But the second mile is the action of a rare few. In 2 Samuel, there's the story of David. David is a 17-year-old kid who just killed Goliath. That action threw him into instant fame. They took him from the battlefield and they paraded him in to the gates of Jerusalem. And as they came in, parading David, this young warrior, the women were dancing and singing in the streets and calling him by name. Not only did David live in Jerusalem, but he would now live in the palace with the king and his family. A hero, instant fame, and everything was great for a while. Until King Saul became jealous of David because Saul understood the people loved David more than they love me, the king. He began to understand that, that they sang about David more than they sang about him. And that he was so irritated and so angry and so jealous that on one evening he took a spear and threw it at David, trying to pin him to the wall. Finally, in his anger, he drove David out of the palace into the wilderness. Saul gathered some of his warriors. They went out after David, and the word was, when you find him, kill him at first sight. He hated David. He was abusive to him. Now, many years later, Saul and his sons are on the Mount of Gilboa. Saul had led his troops there to fight against the Philistines. Saul is standing up high, and he's watching the battlefield below, and he's watching the Philistines as they are advancing, slaughtering Israel, and they just keep coming closer and closer until the end of that day, Saul and his three sons were dead, and the word came back to Jerusalem that their king was dead. When the word reached the palace where they lived and the family lived, panic gripped them because they had no king, And there was no one to take his place because his sons had been killed. And panic gripped them. It was chaos. People began to grab their belongings and running for their lives, afraid that the Philistines were going to come and kill everyone in the city. In the palace, there's a five-year-old boy. His name is Mephibosheth. And he's the grandson of King Saul. The nursemaid who's been taking care of him in all of that chaos picks him up in her arms, and starts running with everyone else. As she's running down those stone steps, she trips and falls, and when she falls, they're trampled by the crowd behind them, and the five-year-old is so injured that he will never walk again in life. Now, again, many years have passed by. David is now in his mid-30s, and he becomes the new king of Israel. When he walks into the palace, his mind is flooded by all the memories of when he lived there so many years ago as a young man. And all of a sudden, he remembers whatever happened to that five-year-old boy, the son of King Saul. He inquired and asked, had anyone seen them? Is he still alive? And the word went out across the land. A few days later, word came back to David, and they said, we found him. He's living in a little community called Lodabar, which means the land of nothing. He was now living in the most poverty-stricken area of Israel. The, The grandson of the king lost his inheritance, his heritage, future kingship, his land, his health. He lost everything. And David summoned him to the palace. David's men found him and picked him up, carried him all the way to Jerusalem, into the palace, laid him on the floor before the throne where David sat. As David rose up out of the throne, he's looking at this man on the floor before him. And David sees him physically shaking with fear. Because Mephibosheth understands how abusive his grandfather was to David and that David was about to execute him to end the line of King Saul that they would never rise up again and now he's trembling and shaking. As David steps forward, he speaks to him and he says, Mephibosheth, don't fear. 
don't fear. I'm here to restore everything you have lost in life for the sake of your father and for the sake of your grandfather, King Saul, I honor you. And he says today, you will eat at my table. You will eat at the king's table for the rest of your life. And David restored everything. Wow, what a story to tell. To sit on the edge of your child's bed, telling them that story, and then saying, who is your Mephibosheth? Who is the one at school that you see that sits over by themselves during the lunchtime? Who is the one that everyone makes fun of because of some weakness in their life? And as you talk to your child, you can say, you see what no one else sees because you have the ability to look beyond their weakness. And as you see one who was created by the hand of God, that has tremendous value in their life. As you ask them, what can you restore that they have lost? Let me go back to what I asked in the very, very beginning. Who deserves honor and who does not deserve honor? And the answer to that is every person who God breathed life into deserves honor honor. Can you imagine living in a world where everyone honors each other? You know, we as parents, we set the pace. You know, whenever you tap the social media app, maybe you're reading and you're reading something that irritates you, it lights you up, man, you want to respond Man, you're, you're going to set them straight. As you're typing all of that out, just stop long enough to ask one question. Does this bring honor or does this bring dishonor? Whenever you think about this amazing teaching of honor in the Bible, it's telling us that we are to honor up, we're to honor down, and we're to honor all around. In other words, we honor those above us. We honor those below us. We honor those around us. And when we begin to honor, you become a standout. When your kids begin to follow that action, it's the very thing that will cause them to be elevated above every other peer in every possible way. And that's what God will use. Today, I'd like to pray with you and over you. And I realize that in this place, there are young adults, singles, there are married couples, and then there are couples who have children. And I want to pray over all of you, but what can change in my life and in my home? How can all this begin to change? If you'd bow your heads for a moment, I want to pray with you. And if you have kids, remember there's two things that we have to balance, obedience and honor, obedience and honor. Father, today as we pray together, Father, I pray, let this resonate inside of all of us, that in this culture in which we live, there's a war against honor. Father, there's such misunderstanding of what you have to say about honor. And I pray, God, let it be something that is fresh, that is exciting, something that we begin to instill into our lives and into our family life. Father, I pray there is a heavy anointing upon every single person here. God, everyone sitting in these chairs that, Lord, you have anointed them as leaders, as leaders among the people. Father, let them rise up today in that leadership role. God, using them mightily. Lord, Lord, where we're raising leaders in our homes, that they will change the culture in which they will live in in the next few years. So, Lord, we thank you, we love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Galen. Amen. 
Man, what a message on honor. I love the way he story tells. I've never heard that story of Mephibosheth told like that before. I know the story, the outcomes. I've just never heard the background on it. Incredible. But here we sit today as a community of people where this, this conversation of honor maybe hasn't been our reality. Maybe we've grown up in a home where we've seen dishonor, generational dysfunction that's passed down where husband and wives live in a state of disrespect and dishonor. And what has been instilled in our hearts is we honor those in which we value. And those in which we do not, they don't get our best. Maybe we're living in the dysfunction of that reality in our own relationships here today. Our friendships and our marriages and, and our, our, our family dynamics are full of it. And so as we've done throughout this entire series, we want to pray today. We want to pray over circumstances and situations that we are walking in here today because there's, a, there, there's, there's something that God can do in the supernatural realm that maybe we've tried to do in the natural for a long period of time. The beauty is, is Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to be present, to be real, to meet us in our times of need, that he can do things that our human minds can, uh, that can't understand. And we trust wholeheartedly on that. So our prayer team's gonna come forward here today. And I want us to stand up to our feet as we, we engage in this time right now because today what we wanna do is, no matter where you're at, maybe you're here today like, I don't know, I don't know if I need prayer, I don't need prayer. Here's the beauty, when you're a part of a body of Christ, this is the beauty of the body of Christ. You get community, you get relationship. If we've walked through these doors with the mentality that this is a selfish moment in time for us, it means that you're not a part of this church community. You wanna get in and you wanna get out. But the reality is God has called us to be a community. And when we're in community, we care about our brothers and sisters on our left and on our right. And with that, maybe you don't need prayer, but somebody does. What do you get to do then? You get to step into a place of intercession now in prayer to the Heavenly Father over them. That is healthy community. So today I asked, maybe there is generational dysfunction in relationships where there's dishonor. Maybe in your marriage today, you just need prayer. Maybe it's not dishonor and you just need, you just need a little upgrade, you know, whatever it is. We want you to come forward. Let's pray over those relationships. If you're a whole family, you're like, man, we, we need to reset the order of our house in honor. Bring your whole family down here. Let's lay some hands on it. Maybe you walk through these doors and it's completely different. Maybe it's a physical need that you have. You got a bad diagnosis. By the power of Jesus Christ, we believe there's healing in this house. By faith, we want to see God do something profound, but very specific inside of your life. That even the mouth of a man can never reason the experience you've had with God out. So let's step into a time. I'm going to pray. Let's let faith rise up. Let's get out of our seats if God, that's what God is asking you to do. And let's move forward for whatever God wants to do in your life. Do not allow the enemy to keep you in a place where you are, you're stuck, where you don't want to be, simply because you don't have the courage to step out. Have the courage, move forward. And I'll tell you today, for faith-filled people in here that know you need prayer, may you set the precedence here today for others behind you that are like, I don't know, respond immediately. Come forward and allow it to, the faith to rise up inside of the house. Take initiative, amen? All right, let's pray. God, we come to you today, Lord. We trust you wholeheartedly that you know every situation. If you know the hairs on every single head, then God, you know the needs of every individual. And Lord, we come to you right now in this place to offer up our brokenness, our challenges, our pain, God. Lord, to just offer ourselves. So even if there's a need or there's not a need, Father, we just say, God, you move in the middle of the madness. You move in the middle of our journey. We trust you wholeheartedly and completely to meet us where we are at, God. We just pray faith is distributed here today, God. Courage is released. Healing is released into this house. Order is released into our lives by your power, through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Come on, come forward, whatever you need. Come forward, let's pray over you in this house. We got people upstairs. We got people down here. Come on, don't sit back. Don't worry about it. Just by a step of faith, get out of your seats. Come forward, let's pray by the power of Jesus Christ. There's a shift in your life. There's a shift in your walk right now in Jesus' name.
faith. Come on. Activate inside of this house. Let power come out of your mouth. Start interceding for some people inside of here. Man, if God's moved in your life, he can move in others' life. Come on, release the prayer. it right when the service started today. I felt like God gave me an image of, of, um, of beauty that, that um, wasn't recognized. I think sometimes inside of life we live in such a, a beautiful world that has so much beauty around us, but when we're overwhelmed with life, the lens in which we look with isn't to appreciate, or we're so self-absorbed that we just lock in and we overlook. And so what I want to pray specifically for here today is for those that are in this atmosphere where your life and your relationship with, with God has become, um, what's the best way to say it? It's become dull. It's become very simple. There's no, there's no joy anymore. There's no awe and wonder, as I said, others. It's like this, this place that there's no like, oh man, there's this beautiful God. And what I pray today is there's a shift in the lens in which you look with. That today you start looking with eyes to capture what God is doing, although yes, life may be challenging, it may be hard, and it may be busy. It's the same thing in your relationship we have with the spouse. It's, I mean, you see the beauty all the time. You first get married and it's like, oh my God. And there's all this activity around what they are doing for you. And you can say, I love you. But what happens over time is if you don't pay attention, you will lose sight of the beauty of who they are to you simply because you no longer see the value. And I pray today that there's a shift that the miraculous God that is doing things on your behalf, he's moving in your life, he's setting you up for success, he's bringing opportunity, he, he, he's removing circumstances that will challenge you, that, that you would rest in the beauty of a God that is sovereign over your life, that you've never had to experience some pain because he's eliminated from, eliminated from your life. You would see the beauty of an almighty God over your life. And as you respond in your perspective shifting, 
your world, the beautiful relationship with your heavenly father comes alive. That never again will you allow dull to be your reality. But through the beauty of what God is doing, it will only be vibrant from here on out. That is what I'm praying over this house here today. Right now, at this moment, we no longer allow dull to be our reality, but only vibrant with our heavenly father. Amen. Let me pray the prayer of faith into the house. If this is you, just throw your hands up towards heaven and let's receive what God wants to release. God, we're coming to you. You are such a vast and beautiful God. Lord, as Romans says, that you've created life and, and you've built this beautiful thing that we get to look into, God. It's just our responsibility to see the value within inside of it, not to turn away from you, but turn towards you because of its beauty. Lord, I pray in this house, Lord, where we've allowed a dull relationship with you, something simple to invade our relationship, God. I pray today our lens is, is shifting, God. Our perspective is shifting, God. Father, we begin to see the lens would come off of our eyes and we begin to see the beauty of your hand at work all over our lives, all over our relationships, all over our callings, all over our careers, all over our, our marriages, God. We see your beautiful hand that is at work all around us, God. Father, through what we see in your hand at work, it lights us up. There's a vibrance that comes, God. So we know you are at work. We know you're moving. We know you love us. We know you care because of your intentionality over our walk. So, Lord, I pray you would release into this house something new, a new passion, a new fire, God, that hits our hearts, God. Father, our minds would shift from the things of this world immediately, God, and it would shift into a place of a heavenly perspective, God. Our minds would shift towards heaven. We'd keep our eyes looking up at your, uh, your, your hand at work. Father, our lives would move in the direction of pursuit in awe and wonder of who you are. We can't get enough. We can't get enough of, of conversation with you. We can't get enough of, of learning your word, God, because we have this vibrant relationship with you. Release it into this house. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, can we say amen in the house here today? Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Come on, God moving in the house here today. Amen. Come on, let's give him thanks for all he's done. God, we thank you. Thank you for moving in this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we, uh, we love you, and this has been a great uh, series that we've jumped into, and God is just moving all over the house. I'll tell you, as a church, we've seen through this, this process cancer that's been evaporated in individuals' bodies. I mean, tumors that have evaporated, tumors in, in people's bodies that were believed to be cancerous, that has invaded the bodies, that, that these, these tumors that have been removed by doctors, some of them, have come back benign. I'm telling you, God is moving in a profound way inside of our church here today, a move of God that defies the reason of man, and that's where we want to live as a church, amen? Amen. <laughs> these are the deal. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you as a church here today. I said this to last service, but I, 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 I want us to, in this, in this season, and I pray it becomes a muscle that is easily exercised for us, because sometimes we can step back and say the supernatural is for somebody else, but here's the beauty of what God is doing inside of the local church. As the, as the world becomes darker and darker, the church will become brighter and brighter. As the world becomes darker and darker, the body of Christ will become brighter and brighter. He's called us to be a light into a broken world. He's called us to be the salt of the earth. What does he say? What, is, what good is salt to this loss is saltiness, right? Being salty is being present. Being salty is I'm going to say something. Being salty is I'm going to love on some people. Being salty is stepping out. Not living in fear, but stepping out in faith. So I'm going to challenge our church. That as you step into atmospheres that you work in and you live in, and you have the opportunity to lead in, Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in those moments with whatever it is. I say step into your atmospheres aware of what God is speaking. And this is how it could happen. You could be thinking about somebody and God gives you an image. How you want to do that is articulate, step into a moment with this friend or whoever it is inside of your life and say, hey, I was thinking about you and I felt like God gave me an image and I just want to let you know 
that this is what I saw. And whatever it may be, it may, whatever it is, it could be something interesting. <laughs> it could be something very clear. But as you begin to talk, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. Maybe it's just words that he gives you. You can just say, man, I'm praying for you. I feel like God's put it in my spirit. Peace over your life. And I just want to let you know I'm praying for you, and I'll pray the peace of God over your life. Will you pray with me right now? And these water cooler situations, these water cooler encounters where the Holy Spirit is leading you and you're responding by its power, you'll see some profound things happen in workplaces, in your schools. I'm telling you today, step out in faith and trust God with what he has placed on your heart. This isn't just a pastor to do it. This is the body of Christ to be raised up in the courage necessary to be light into broken places, into dark places. Amen? And allow God to move. It's not by our power. It's by his either way. But are we responsive to it? I want to hear some crazy things. Just by the courage rising up, say, we're going to believe God for some beautiful things to happen through our lives because we're following Jesus and we're here to love on some people. Amen? Amen. So let's go in Jesus' name. Derek, take us away, my man. Well, hey, like Pastor said, we challenge you to invite someone. One easy way that you can do that is we have invite cards that we have that you can get on your way out that list our service times, our address, all that good stuff. So you simply just have to give it to the person that's on your mind. So be sure to pick those up on your way out. As we said earlier, August 31st, we got youth happening, middle school, high school, this Wednesday, 630. So if you know any students, be sure to have them come on by. Other than that, we love you. We're praying for you. Also, in honor of Pastor Galen being here speaking today, we're going to be giving away five copies of his newest book, A Matter of Time. So if you want one, just raise your hand. First come, first serve. Whoever wants one, auditorium team, you guys can hook them up on that. Other than that, we love you. We're praying for you. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you guys next Sunday.